Dressed, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary. And April Callahan. So listeners, today's episode is part two of our earlier episode this week with American fashion designer Norma Kamali, who just recently released her guide to life, love, and style, which is called I Am Invincible. Yes, so if you have not already tuned into that episode, we highly recommend you do so to learn about the early part of Norma's career. And April, I think you and I both knew that, like us, Norma was an alum of FIT, but I actually did not realize that she did not go there to study fashion design, and that is actually something you discussed in the episode earlier this week. We sure did, and uh, we're going to discuss so much more today. Norma, welcome back. So... Life seriously throws curveballs at us sometimes. And just as your career was blossoming, um, at that same time, your personal life was really proving challenging. And you write in the book about your husband's blatant infidelity and his financial misdeeds with your business funds. So you left him and the boutique that you had built with $98 to your name. And and, and I mean, I think that anyone who has left a very serious long-term relationship like this knows how incredibly hard this is. So do you have any words of wisdom for any of our listeners who might be going through something like this right now or in the future? So uh, just a note about my acceptance. So we were kids, right? We were children and we met as children and it was inevitable that we would evolve into different adults and so a lot of it has to be chalked off to just no life experience and no understanding of the world we had just gotten into. I really believe that some of the worst things that happen to us in our lives are very important catalysts to us creating the change we need to get to the next place. And of course, you never recognize that that's what's happening because it's painful, it's emotional, and it really puts into question your identity, who you are, your character, everything. So for women, the transition to 30 is not only a Saturn return, but it's also for every woman, a very big transition. There are milestones that women are supposed to achieve at a certain age, and that's one of them. There's a lot of things that are expected, but we are always challenged at that point. There's always pain involved, there's tears, there's nights crying yourself to sleep. We all have it, different nuances, different reasons. So for me, at the time, I believed like every other woman that men knew how to handle business and money and that that's what they did. And so 
part of the way he controlled me not leaving with what he was doing was to control the money. And we separated and I was living in an apartment that literally had a mattress. I didn't have curtains, I had nothing. I had my clothes and a mattress. And there was some sense of security for him in that because where am I gonna go? What am I gonna do? I have to stay. And I think there was a, a sales girl who was very, you know, very kind of caught up with him in the nightlife and he was buying her gifts and she was feeling like she's going to be the designer of the collection going forward. And she came into the sample room and she showed me some of her ideas of what she would like me to do. And she entered the wrong door by doing that. <laughs> yeah. She, she took it to a place. And every day after that, when I got back on my feet, I thank her a million times, not for causing me pain or making me feel bad, but for being the reason I left. And like, not the full reason, but the last straw. And so after she left the sample room, the ceiling over my cutting table literally fell. It just dropped. There must have been a leak or so. I don't know, but it just fell. And I said to the my head sample maker, who is still with me, by the way. Amazing. I said to her, I think Confucius says, when ceiling falls on head, time to leave. And so <laughs> I left and I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that there's no way I could have any dignity or feeling of self if this girl and my husband were managing my every day. And I had to leave that. I did ask a friend who was a lawyer if I ever left, would I be able to take my things? And I was told, you cannot. If you leave, you leave behind everything. And so I literally had to leave all of the laces that I collected, all of these things that were super important, even my scissors, all of those, <laughs> all of those things that you're like, this is part of my identity, my scissors. I didn't take anything. And it was tough. And the lesson I learned was that actually the next day, and I never met with the press, he met with the press, but this one editor from the LA Times kept pushing me to have lunch with her. And so we had a lunch date planned and I didn't know how to contact her to get out of it. And my face was swollen from crying. I was just very, very upset and just lost. And so I went to meet her and she looked at me and she was like, what happened to you? And I told her everything and nobody, nobody knew anything about what was going on. I didn't tell anybody. It was my secret. I was like an abused wife. And I told her everything. And as I was telling her everything, 
I felt such a relief to not own that story and not have a solution for it. And the lesson I learned was that she literally was able to help me because she knew that I had a problem. And so the problem was able to be solved by expressing it and expressing the needs I had um, for a solution. So she helped me by getting me a sewing machine and more sewing machines and then helping me tell the story to other people. And I was able to borrow money from friends and family and I borrowed the sewing machines for as long as I needed them. And I had help because I talked about it. And so this is something that a lot of women have issues with. And telling your story and being very forthcoming means somebody can do something. Somebody can help you. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. That's a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And professionally speaking, though, it, it wasn't terribly long before you were back on your feet. So how did On My Own, OMO, Norma Kamali come into being? I had to actually, this same lawyer told me that I would not be able to use the name Norma Kamali or the name Kamali because it was the name of the business and it was also my husband's name. So I had to find a way to keep my identity and create a new logo. And on my own, just was, there was no question that was what I was. I was on my own. And the interesting thing is the first time it got covered and that the name on my own was used in this story, I received so many letters from women. Now, this is a feminist movement time. This is a time where feminism and that movement got reignited from the previous incarnation of feminism. And so many women felt through my story that there was a door opening for them to reconsider what their choice would be as a wife and as a mother and as a career person. And I was shocked, completely shocked. I sort of was given this label of being a feminist of sorts where I was actually just trying to survive. I, you know, I was hardly out in the streets with signs and screaming for, I was like, you're kidding? I'm a feminist? Oh, I guess I am. Uh, And so that was a very important time for women. And I was experiencing it like other women were. Yeah. And and I feel like in your designs, you're always taking care of us, right? Um, You can feel that when you wear your clothes because your clothes are comfortable. They're practical. They're chic. That's why I'm one of your big fans. You can, you can feel that you care for your female clients, which of course you, you don't only design for women. You also, uh, and maybe we'll talk about that here in a second as well, but that's what made me a fan of your designs, you know, two decades ago. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I think, um, you know, I, I really do think women who design have an advantage because 
women are very affected about how they feel in clothing, Mm -hmm. not only the comfort part of it, but how the fabric feels when you walk, how does it feel? What's happening to the way you're projecting yourself when you're wearing something. So we're very sensitive to that. And so I'm obviously just projecting what I feel as a woman when I'm when I'm doing clothes and connecting with you and other women in that way. Yeah. I mean, you can tell that movement is very important. Um, you're thinking about that when you're designing, when you put on something that's normal Kamali. So the two final sections of your book deal with your take on style and beauty specifically, where some of the other sections are about health and lifestyle and wellness. I'm curious, what are some of your favorite tips on how to develop your own personal style? Well, that's a big question now and very relevant now. I personally feel the fashion industry, as we all know, is confused, at least mildly confused, uh, about a lot of things, about what we're producing, how much we're producing, what's relevant in our lifestyles, what, uh, when we show our clothes, when we buy our clothes, how we buy our clothes, everything is being challenged. And I keep thinking about not only the impression, COVID, the stamp that we all have in our brain, that's not going anywhere. That stamp is with us till we die. COVID, is present and the memory of it is present. How it manifests itself through the years will be interesting, but I suspect we'll start seeing parts of that right away. But the point of individual style, I feel has an opportunity Because I feel, especially when I think of New York and I think of big cities, in the 70s, like I said, it was a hugely creative time in New York, especially from London had its moment and then New York fashion. Wow. And the influence of that. Mm -hmm. So what was happening in New York? New York was bankrupt, basically. People were leaving by the droves. There were buildings empty, stores empty. The violence in the city was increasing and increasing every day. And eventually, the city didn't have enough taxpayers to pay for city services. So the city services were broken down. And then um, there were strikes and a lot of violence and a lot of disrespect for property and for people. But because of that, a lot of people, especially young people, were coming to New York because it was affordable. Mm. And a lot of feminists were coming to New York because their hometown wasn't a comfortable place for them. And there were a lot, there was a gay population that had been hidden away quietly in all of these towns and now enough we're coming to New York too so the gay population the feminists 
creative types who wanted to express themselves, their individuality, came to New York. And this rush for creativity happened at the same time that this terrible thing was happening in New York. Well, unfortunately, as you and I know, New York looks a little bit like the 70s. And, and we're going down a rabbit hole. And it's very hard to get out of that rabbit hole. It's easier to get down quickly. Now, I don't know that it will go as far down as it did in the 70s. I really don't know. I pray that it doesn't. But I already see, and maybe you do too, that Gen Z are a very ambitious, creative, sort of new rules. There's no old rules that work. New rules apply. And I see some really great work and in all areas. And they work. They have three or four jobs. They're, they're very different from millennials in their perspective about their independence and the way they do things. And so I actually see some of that in New York already. And I love what I see. I'm excited by it. And I think more um, one-of-a-kind type clothing will become more and more popular and more accessible and that these empty stores are going to be a lot less expensive and places to do things and create things will be affordable. So what happens then is one-of-a-kind pieces are easier to do than production. Ah. You need a lot of money for production. You don't need a lot of money for one-of-a-kinds. The other thing is maybe a store is still not affordable, but you can have a pretty simple makeshift e-commerce site and do it with a few other creative types and join forces together, not only in the way you make the clothes, the place you make them or how you do it, but in the way you present them. So I really feel dressing individually and finding your personal style will be inspired by maybe what's coming next. If it doesn't come, when you were a six-year-old girl, nobody had to tell you what you liked. I remember wearing six things at the same time that I liked because... <laughs> I like them all and I wanted to wear them all. And I think we need to go back to the six-year-old who didn't have any idea of what was in style, what her friends would like, what was right. It was just her gut on what she loved. And I think it takes a little bravery in our cancel culture world to do whatever you like. But I think people will admire individual thinking more and more. And I think we have to start doing that. We have to find those one-of-a-kind things we like. We have to add them to our favorite wardrobe. And so dressing 
with individual style is just going back to the six-year-old and say, I really love this. I don't know why. I didn't see anybody else wearing it. I didn't see it in a magazine. I didn't see it on Instagram. I just like this and I want to wear it. And that's, that's the way to do it. And I wish you all could have a little memory of the 70s, even though I don't like to look back. I always like looking forward. There was a freedom of spirit that I wish happens again, but in a completely new way. Yeah, I feel like we are all just itching to to get back out into the world and re-engage with not only people, but things and places. And and maybe part of that is almost going to inspire this desire for wonder and creativity and something new because yeah. it's been Groundhog Day, day after day after day for the last <laughs> year. So right. let's, let's make life in the aftertimes as fabulous as possible, whatever that means to you. I, I totally agree. And all I can say is I am looking forward to the summer to have a big dance party and just to dance and sweat and be wearing something I love that makes me happy. Yeah. Norma, thank you so much. You have been a powerhouse in the fashion business for five decades now. Um, We really appreciate your your considerable amount of time that you have donated to us today. And just one last question very quickly. What can we expect from you next? Oh, the book is really an open door for me and living my purpose. So a lot of it is is going to be an extension of what the book is about and more interesting projects. I'm launching a furniture collection in two months. I'm launching my scent in the fall. I'm probably going to open the wellness cafe in my building in the fall. So I have a lot on the plate so to speak, but all of it is fun. And I live a creative life and I am just so fortunate to live the life that I've always wanted to. So, well, and all the rest of us are fortunate because of it too. So thank you. That's very (laughs) sweet. You're so kind. Thank you very much. Norma, thank you again for joining us to chat about your incredible career April, we are so lucky to have some of the luminaries of American fashion join us on Dressed. And I, for one, cannot wait to see what Norma has in store for us all in the near future. Yes. And and I, I mentioned this early on in its two-part episode, but I just want to put forth again that one of the nicest things I've ever done for myself is buying a sleeping bag coat. <laughs> and, you know, I had wanted one my entire life because like around the same time I was born was when she first started creating them and and selling them every single year. And so finally I pulled the trigger and honestly, it's one of the best purchases I've ever made. It is an investment piece. I will say that. And and it's part of my, you know, buy better, buy less program, but I'm going to be wearing my sleeping bag coat for the next 20 years. So, you know, or maybe not 20 years until one of us wears out. So we'll see, we'll see who wins that first. But um, it's, it's a total winter game changer for sure, for sure. And they're so normal. They're so comfortable and so comforting. And, and this is how I really think of and why I love to wear her clothes. 
And listeners, Norma's book, I Am Invincible, is available now at your bookseller of choice. So check it out if you'd like to hear more from her. And that does it for us this week, dress listeners. May you consider where you find comfort in your wardrobe next time you get dressed. If you have thoughts or episode suggestions, please reach out. You can DM us on Instagram at dress underscore podcast or email us at dress at iheartmedia.com. And if you have time, we would of course love if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Thank you as always to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes the show possible each week. We will catch you on Tuesday. Dressed, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.